Shalom. I am Rabbi Michael Pont, and this is For the Love of Judaism, episode 16. Today, we are going to be talking about the very controversial issue of gun violence in our country. I have with me today Ira Levin, who is the owner of Legend Firearms in Monroe, New Jersey. I've known Ira now for over 10 years And we've had conversations about gun violence in America. It seems to be happening more and more. Unfortunately, there are a large number of mass shootings that have happened, you know, ever since Columbine. Uh, It seems like a never ending problem. Uh, So I wanted to have Ira on because he has been in this business. He's been around guns for a very long time. He has some opinions about how we can think about this issue. So Ira, I want to welcome you to the program and thanks for being on today. Thank you. Glad to be here. I wanted to ask you, Ira, how did you get into the firearms business? I mean, you know, this isn't exactly, you know, the kind of line of work for a nice Jewish boy, if you will. So, <laughs> right. How did you get into firearms? You know, it's a good question. And I get asked that a lot. Actually, a piece of legislation passed in New Jersey about 15 years ago that I found to be just useless and ridiculous and absurd. And when I uh, mentioned my displeasure at this piece of legislation, my wife, Randy, said, you know, I said to her, I should get my license and help people buy guns as inexpensively as possible because this is a stupid law. And she said, why don't you do that? And I did. And I got my license. And at first, people were coming to my home to actually pick up firearms, legally, of course doing all the the proper paperwork that's required by the state and and the federal government. And it was just a hobby on the side because the legislation that was passed was the one gun a month law. The state of New Jersey passed a law that said you can only buy one handgun every 30 days. And they felt that this was an important law because it would help to reduce illegal gun traffic. In essence, what they were saying was you would go out and buy a gun legally, have it registered to you, then turn around and sell it to some 'er ne'er-do-well in order for them to commit crimes with. And I said to Randy, I said, how is this a good law? If I'm buying the gun legally and I'm selling it to a criminal, the first time a criminal gets caught with a gun registered to me, the police are going to come to me and say, where'd where'd the gun go? And how many times can I get away with that? That doesn't do anything to to reduce crime. All it does is affect legal gun owners and their rights to buy guns. And I thought it was a foolish, foolish law. So that's kind of what energized me into getting my license to sell firearms. I mean, part of, you know, one issue, I I did a little bit of research and I saw that not including, you know, law enforcement and the military, there are almost 400 million guns in our country that are just, you know, out on the streets, you know, many legally owned by citizens, but then, you know, many probably are not. Okay. But when you use a number like 400 million, think about how big that number is. That means that there are more guns in the country than as there are citizens. That's right. So the number is so big that the number of illegal guns is a very, very small percentage. The gun crime that's committed, and we'll talk about mass shootings separately because I think we have two different issues to to confront here. But 400 million guns, and you're probably off by about 100 million. There's probably a half a billion legally owned firearms in the United States right now. So you think about that number is a very, very big number, right? If legal law abiding citizens were doing things that were not good or illegal with firearms, 
You, you wouldn't be able to go grocery shopping, go to the gas station or get to work. There are so many guns in the country that there would literally be blood running in the streets if legal gun owners were doing bad things with guns. So what we're really talking about are two things. We're talking about criminals and we're talking about mentally ill people. And, and I think those are the two primary areas of focus that really need to be addressed by, by legislation. You know, when you look at shootings, starting with Columbine or any of these school shootings, which are absolutely horrific. Um, and I think the one that really galvanized this country uh, was the one at, at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, perpetrated by someone who was mentally ill, killed his mother, took her firearms and went on a shooting spree. You know, the kid in Parkland, the evidence points to in almost every situation, somebody who had some type of issue emotionally or mentally, and it was not being addressed. And the one thing the state of New Jersey does very well is address that, because before you can buy a firearm in the state of New Jersey, you have to sign a release, a HIPAA release that allows the state to check your, your medical records to make sure there's no history of mental health issues. And you know we have the 48th lowest incidence of gun violence in the country, in New Jersey. So I think the mental health issue is a very, very big part of it. I think People who commit crimes with guns do not stop and say to their buddies, hey, we can't rob this liquor store because the magazines on my gun are too high a capacity. You're only allowed to have 10 bullets in the gun and mine have 15. So we should go home. No one has that conversation. Criminals don't care about the laws. The laws that are passed generally only affect legal gun owners in a negative way. And that's another problem. So I think those are the two issues we need to face is mental health. And, and enforcing the laws that we have for criminals who commit crimes with guns. So there's, there's a, lot to, a lot to unpack there. Uh, it makes me feel good to hear that New Jersey has that law about gun purchases and mental health. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's great. Do other states have similar laws? Because that seems like it makes sense. Uh, you know, here's, here's where I run into an issue, and I think everybody should run into this issue because I think it's a national issue. No, not all states have that. Some states do. But, you know, one of the topics that I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point is the NRA. And one of the reasons I'm not a big NRA supporter is because the NRA will fight anything that has to do with firearms coming out of the federal government or state governments, for that matter. And they're staunchly against any legislation that has anything to do with firearms. And I think there needs to be a logical and rational discussion between both sides uh, over any subject, actually. But when you talk about firearms, the NRA will fight that. So if, let's say, Montana says, oh, we should do mental health background checks, the NRA will go and fight that. Well, why fight that? That's, that's a good thing. That's something that helps a government agency determine whether or not it's safe for a person to purchase a firearm. And they, they'll, they'll fight that because they believe that if you give an inch on anything, that the government will take a mile. And, and I don't think that's the right focus for any organization that's looking to protect Second Amendment rights, First Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights. I, I think there needs to be a dialogue. And, and these people, they don't have a dialogue. They yell at each other from both sides of the aisle or on either side of the aisle. Yeah, you're right. And that is, that is definitely a problem. The art of politics is supposed to be compromise uh, and compromise requires those on either side of a political issue to, to listen to one another and to try and find some common ground. It does seem like 
we're having a difficult time doing that in our country these days. At least it seems that way. There's still a lot of cooperation going on between Democrats and Republicans in Washington and in state governments. Um, but we tend to hear about all of the, like you said, the rhetoric and the, uh, the, the controversy in part because I think that, that just sensational and that makes news. You know, speaking of the NRA, you know, there are some NRA official, officials who claim that the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And so that kind of thinking, you know, leads to the concept of that, you know, teachers in schools should all be armed with, with firearms. Um, how do you respond to that sort of uh, that line of thinking? I think that, you know, saying teachers in schools should be armed reads into that statement a little bit much. If there's a bad guy with a gun, the first thing most of us do is dial 911. And the cop, who is the good guy, shows up and he has a gun. I think in its simplest definition, that's what that means. When the NRA says that, they're referring to the average armed citizen carrying a weapon concealed on their side. Now, in New Jersey, we don't really have that right, although there's a Supreme Court case that's coming to fruition here in the coming year, and that that may change that. But in most states, pretty much every other state, you can carry a concealed weapon. And what doesn't get talked about on the news a lot, unless you search for it, is how many times crimes have been prevented by a citizen who happened to be in the right place at the right time, carrying a concealed firearm and intervened on behalf of the potential victim. And that happens frequently. And it's funny because if you look at objective statistics, uh, for instance, if you go to the CDC website and look up, you know, causes of death in the United States, or you go to the FBI website and look at shootings and and who were involved in those shootings under what circumstances, you'd be surprised at the statistics and the results that are on those websites. And the reason I quote those websites is because they're objective third parties. If you look at anti-gun websites or you look at pro-gun websites, the argument is obviously slanted to their case. So I think anytime you do any research or you read anything about firearms being used in a manner that they're not intended, you're better off looking at an objective third party. Okay. And well, let's talk about the second amendment for a minute. I think there's a lot of controversy um, and debate about exactly what the founders meant by the second amendment. Should citizens be allowed to, you know, to arm themselves and in what situations, what do you think about the the second amendment? How do you interpret it? Well, I think there's two things. Uh, I think, first of all, the first 10 amendments are referred to as the bill of rights. The Bill of Rights specifically deals with individual rights. When you look at the founding fathers and what they were trying to do is they were trying to put into place a group of laws that would allow the country to govern itself and be safe from tyrannical rule or, you know, a monarchy taking over. They wanted to ensure that the people in this country had the ability to protect or defend themselves from an oppressive government. If you look at a lot of the amendments, you know, the Fifth Amendment allows you to not make comments that could implicate yourself in a crime. The First Amendment allows free speech and the freedom of religion. None of those amendments are enforceable without the Second Amendment. If soldiers show up at your home, and I know this seems silly, but if soldiers show up at your home and say, hey, we're staying here tonight, what are you going to do? You're going to poke them with a fork and say, get out of my house? Now, in a real emergency, obviously, if these soldiers were here to help defend the country, anyone would open their home to them and say, come in, stay here. But there's a difference between opening your home and being forced to. People say the Second Amendment is an outdated amendment because it hasn't changed with the times. And I'm going to give you an example. The Fourth Amendment, I think, protects your right to illegal search and seizure. When the the Fourth Amendment was written, 
Computers did not exist, and yet they're all protected under the Fourth Amendment. It's the same thing with the Second Amendment. While everybody, when the Second Amendment was written, had muskets, and I get that, you know, and muzzle loaders, the government no longer has those firearms, and the citizenry should no longer have those firearms. And I don't expect, and I don't support, a movement to overthrow the U.S. government. I don't think the U.S. government has gotten to the point where it needs to be overthrown. But I do know that the people who swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, and that includes the police, and that includes members of the military, and having been a member of the military, know that we take that oath very seriously. It's not an oath that we took under duress. It was an oath we took because we believed in the Constitution and what it represented and the freedoms that this country offers. And I think that There wouldn't be as many people trying to get into this country if it didn't offer the freedoms that it does. Now, you can say, well, you know, guns are bad and they were designed to kill people. And I get that. The problem is that we're so far past the point of should we or should we not have guns that at this point in our country's history, the only viable option we can do is to make sure that the people who have firearms are people who should have firearms and the people who should not have firearms should not have firearms. It's a very black and white issue and we get lost in all of the red and blue, which is the gray area. I hate that people try to take the Second Amendment, make it stand alone like it's not part of the Constitution or it's an archaic part of the Constitution when they fail to look at every other part of the Constitution and how it affects our lives and the rights that we have. We have a right to vote. It's a very important constitutional right. A lot of people don't take advantage of that. We have the right to freedom of speech and and free religion. And, you know, you don't have those freedoms without the Second Amendment. All of that goes away. It's an integral part of the Constitution. And I think you asked what the founding fathers think. It was the Second Amendment, the second one. The first one was being able to express yourself, being able to have your own religion, being able to speak freely. The second one was this is how we protect the first one. That's how important the second one was. Should there be a limit on what kinds of weaponry ordinary citizens should be allowed to purchase? Oh, certainly. There are there are firearms that are made specifically for the purpose of fighting war. You know, people think or they watch movies and they think that we have fully automatic weapons. You pull the trigger, you hold the trigger. The gun keeps shooting until it's empty. Nobody has those. There are states where it is permitted to own those firearms, but they are very, very tightly controlled by the federal government. They are fabulously expensive. And there are very few of them in circulation in the United States. There were some laws passed some time ago that that control those types of, of firearms. So for the most part, nobody has fully automatic weapons. So, you know, weapons of war are different than weapons that or firearms that that individuals have. Now, I have a number of firearms. My daughter has a number of firearms. Several of them are AR-15 type rifles. People think, you know, AR-15, ooh, that's like, you know, a military weapon. Certainly it looks like a military weapon, but it is not fully automatic and it works no differently than any other semi-automatic hunting rifle. In fact, the bullet on it is much, much smaller than a hunting rifle. So there's a, there's a bad perception about what firearms are, how they work, and who can own them that the media doesn't do a good job of explaining. And I don't think people really want to take the time to learn you know, the differences because it's not, it's not something they're interested in. Huh. Okay. That's really interesting. Can you share with us your views about, you know, if someone, own, if someone is going to own firearms, the importance of, you know, gun training and gun safety? Well, certainly look, I think you'd be foolish to, to buy a firearm and not take some type of training class. It's no different than, you know, any of our children getting a driver's license without taking driver's safety. You're buying a firearm which is a tool, 
regardless of what you want to use it for, whether it's target practice, home defense, competition shooting, regardless of what you're using the firearm for, you need to learn how to use it properly and safely. Just the simple act of cleaning a firearm, and we've all heard this, you know, and it's almost cliche. Oh, he was cleaning the gun and it went off and he shot himself. There are no accidental discharges of firearms. There are negligent discharges of firearms. Somebody made a mistake. And, you know, I had an instructor once a long time ago who said to me, no one has a car accident. Somebody made a mistake. Someone was someone was wrong. And it's the same thing with a firearm. You know, th- there are no accidents. Somebody made a mistake. You know, I, I tell in the last two years, for various reasons, firearm sales have skyrocketed. And the first thing I tell everybody who's coming into my store to buy a new firearm is, listen, first thing you should do is take a lesson. You should be with an instructor and learn how to properly discharge this firearm, how to properly handle the firearm, how to safely disassemble it so that you can clean it properly. Uh, those are very important things. Uh, my wife and my daughter have both gone through that training. You know, someone else taught them because, you know, I'm just the putts they live with. They're not going to listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so it's always better to use a professional instructor. And, and I believe very strongly in that. And I think that everybody in the firearms community believes very strongly in education. It's paramount to safety. I mean, it's the first rule of fire. There's four, there's four rules, you know, to firearms, you know, always treat a firearm like it's loaded. Never point a firearm at anything you're not willing to destroy. Know your target and, and what is beyond it. The rules exist and are repeated often because safety is something that everybody in our industry takes very seriously. You know, in my store, in any given week, there's two to 300 people in and out of those doors. Every time we take a firearm out of a display case to show it to a customer, we check it to make sure it's not loaded. Now, these are new firearms that we've handled a hundred times that are checked every single time. And whether someone looked at it five minutes ago or five days ago, we still check because safety is a paramount concern. Right. Do you think that that should be, you know, you know, state mandated and federally mandated? Well, I think the first thing the NRA would do would be to fight that. And they would say, you can't force someone to spend money to exercise a Second Amendment right. Why would you do this? And another reason I don't necessarily agree with everything the NRA says, the government were to mandate it. I would say that the training should be provided by the government. I, I think there are two benefits. If, for example, your township was responsible for training you in the use of firearms, two things would come of that. People would be educated. It wouldn't be an unnecessary burden placed on them by legislation with regard to cost because it would be supported by your local police department and it would facilitate a better relationship between the general populace and the police departments. It would also help to reinforce the lessons that police departments learn with regards to using their firearms. Law enforcement also needs to have continual training because a firearm is a very small part of their tool bag and they don't use their firearms near as often as television and and movies would like to portray. Right. Training and learning about gun safety is absolutely paramount. Absolutely. All right. Well, Ira Levin, um, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your time. Conversations like this are so important to try and clear up some misconceptions, to create dialogue. Uh, I know that I've learned a lot. And so I really appreciate uh, talking with you. Thank you. No, I I appreciate the opportunity. There's one point I'd like to make before I go. In the last year and a half, two years with COVID, the one thing I have seen is a lot of people who previously felt that guns were bad and that no one should own guns or you shouldn't have a gun have changed their viewpoint on firearms ownership. In the last year and a half, I would say that 75% of my business has been new firearms owners, people buying their very first firearm. And these are people who are age 40 to 65 or 70. Their viewpoint has changed. And I think it's easy to make a stand against anything you don't understand. 
until you feel it could be a benefit to you. A long time ago, you wrote something in the Temple Topics about magazines and magazine capacity. And I said to you, you know, you should look at both sides of an argument before you pass judgment. And you said you were right. And I took you to the range. And I think you saw that once once you participate in an activity and you have a better understanding of it, it, it helps to remove some of the stigmas and, and some of the misconceptions that, that, that you had previously. And so I would say this to anyone listening. If there is anyone out there listening to this that, that feels that, you know, they're unsure or they don't know or they're scared or they want to know, that they're more than welcome to stop into our club anytime they want. And we will give them a tour of the place. We, I, they can come into my store and I will happily go over firearm safety and I will dispel a lot of myths um, and misconceptions. The biggest one being AR stands for assault rifle. It does not. It stands for Armalite Rifle Company, which is the company that developed that rifle for Colt that went into service with the military. Media always says assault rifle. And that's, that's not what AR stands for. So you can Google that. So you can see how there are misconceptions out there about, you know, citizens owning assault rifles. We, we do not own assault rifles. Those are military weapons. So anyone who wants to learn more, please feel free to stop in anytime. We're located at 8 Union Hill Road in Monroe right on the border of Manalapan, English town. And, and we'll be happy to give you a tour or talk sensibly to you about firearms ownership. Uh, again, Ira Levin, uh, Legend Firearms, um, Monroe, New Jersey. Thank you so much for being on the program today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Again, that was Ira Levin. Uh, I'm really glad that he was with us today. Very interesting conversation about firearms in this country. I learned some things that I hadn't considered before. And I think it's a conversation that we need to continue to have politically. Legislation is important. Uh, And Ira touched on something about, you know, shootings that are plaguing this country, uh, especially in, you know, in schools and mass shootings. I don't know how to stop these kinds of massacres, but I do think that we can try harder to prevent them from occurring. A lot of times with school shootings, with teenagers, for example, other students knew that that student who committed the shooting was struggling emotionally. Maybe the student was a loner. And often that happens. And I think that we need to notice what's going on with each other. We need to pay more attention. Just think with some of these shootings at schools and in other places, if people noticed that there was something off, that the person seemed withdrawn, maybe if they would have acted, if they would have said something, if they would have tried to get that person uh, some help, maybe the violence could have been avoided. Uh, I think that it's important, and Ira touched on this, that we should increase our focus on mental health. You know, the Torah teaches in the book of Genesis, after God created the first human beings, the first time that God says that something is not good is God says it is not good for a person to be alone. In Hebrew, lotov heyot adam livado. We are social creatures. We need human interaction for spiritual nourishment, almost as much as we need food for the body. We need each other. Companionship is critical when it comes to mental health, especially during the pandemic when so many people were isolated. We realized even more how much we really need each other. I would also say that Judaism prescribes daily prayer to provide structure and a sense of calm and serenity in our lives. Um, Consider this brief meditation appears immediately after the Amidah prayer in our liturgy. 
Oh Lord, guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking lies. Help me to ignore those who slander me and be humble and forgiving to all. Frustrate the plans of those who wish me ill, that I may praise your power. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart find favor before you, my rock and my redeemer. O maker of harmony in the universe, grant peace to us, to Israel, and to all people everywhere. Amen. Healing the world starts with the individual, and prayer is a great tool for mental health. Jewish prayer which is a part of our daily routine as Jews, is really meditation to calm down, to find that serenity, that place of peace. Uh, And that's absolutely critical for mental health. So in thinking about violence perpetrated in our society, we should think about people who are lonely, people who are isolated. We should try to get them the help that they need. And We should think about the role that meditation can play in helping people to find a sense of peace. So again, this has been another great episode. Thank you for listening and peace out. 